بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم The leadership of Muhammad On a journey the leader of people is their servant Muhammad By John Adair Chapter 3 Caravan Leader When traveling on a journey even if there are only three of you Make one a leader Muhammad The Quraysh Muhammad's tribe were once part of a larger confederation of tribes in the Najd desert known as the Bani Hinan. As with other Bedouin tribes, it had been their custom from time immemorial to join the annual Hajj, Arabic pilgrimage to a barren valley between, jag- between jagged arid mountains where between jagged arid mountains where a sacred spring called Zamzam brought its cold clear water to the surface. Nearby stood an unusual standing stone black meteorite black meteorite that the ancestors of the Bedouin may have worshipped once as a god. In Muhammad's day they would touch or kiss the venerated black stone Arabic al-Hajar al-Aswad before sacrificing an animal. In the course of time this holy place came to be known as uh, in Arabic as Mecca. The form of that word used by Uh, the form of that word used by Ptolemy uh, 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 C90-168 CE uh, Makoraba Makoraba gives us its meaning for in several Semitic languages it signifies a temple We think of a temple as a large building in the Egyptian or Greco or Greco-Roman form, but a temple in the early Semitic context is simply an enclosure. A low wall made of stones or rocks around a holy city or a holy site initially built to keep stray animals away. The black stone was eventually protected probably for the same reason by the Kaaba Arabic the cube. Qusay uh, was the chief of the Quraysh. While they still lived in the desert, he happened to marry the daughter of a chief of the Bani, of the Bani Khuzan, uh, Khuzan tribe, who had installed himself as the guardian of the temple of Fatta. On his father-in-law's uh, death, aided by his Bani Kinana kinsmen from the desert, Qusay overcame his Khuzan rivals. Uh, or maybe Khuzan rivals or Khuzan rivals and took charge of Mecca. The Khuzan were driven out, packing their tents on to their camels. They returned to the nomadic life in the Najd form, in the Najd from whence they had come. It was Qusay who built the first stone dwelling house around the temple enclosure and began to manage the annual pilgrimage partly for profit. He levied attacks on his fellow uh, tribesmen to support poor or needy pilgrims, which doubtless brought him great prestige among the desert tribes who so much valued generous hospitality. Muhammad's grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, who had looked after him for two years when he was orphaned, was a great grandson of Qusayb. Here is his noble message to his fellow tribesmen. You are God's neighbor, the people of his temple, and sanctuary. The pilgrims are God's guests and visitors to his temple and they have the highest claim on your 
generosity, so provide food and drink for them during their pilgrimage until they depart out of your territory. With their institution of a ban, with their institution of a ban on all warfare and violence in the region around Mecca during the annual pilgrimage, the Quraysh also in effect gave their protection to the devout wayfarers who converged in large crowds on the holy place. Mecca was one of uh, a number of small commercial and agricultural towns in the hilly areas of the Hejaz in Western Arabia. There were settled communities too in the great uh, date growing oases of Yemen on the Gulf Coast. Most of these towns and markets were mainly used for the exchange of the wool and leather of the uh, of the pastoralist of the pastor pastoralist of the pastoralist and for the grain, olive oil and wine that were the main luxuries. From about five hundred however the mining of precious metals in the Hejaz added a new dimension. Some of the mines were owned and operated by Bedouin tribes like the Bani Sulaim. The production of precious metals greatly increased the prosperity of the area. At least some of the Bedouin tribes now had the means to become important consumers of the uh, produce of the settled lands. Groups of merchants emerged to import goods from Syria, setting up networks between the tribes to allow their caravans to pass in peace. As the decades passed, the settled Arabs, the occupants of the small towns and villages that grew up around a well, grew around a well or oasis, Arabia has no rivers, became more distinct from their Bedouin cousins, the des desert nomads. They prided themselves on the virtue of Hulm that included such qualities as gentleness, clemency, mildness, and forbearance. They considered the Bedouin tribes to be excitable and unreliable, useful for their military skills in desert warfare, and for their hardiness but needing to be controlled and led. For their part, many of the Bedouin tribal chiefs, without surrendering any of their essential freedom and independence, proved to be willing to accept the leadership of the high-status tribes in the town, such as the Quraysh in Mecca and the Thaqif in nearby Taif, when occasion demanded it. A modern example of the same principle arose in the First World War when the Sharif of Mecca and his four sons, direct descendants of the Prophet and of uh, Muhammad's clan and the Quraysh, the Hashemites, led the Arab revolt against their Turkish overlords, supported and largely funded by their British and French allies. The Sharifian army under Faisal, which entered Damascus in 1918, consisted of a small force of Arab soldiers drawn from the towns, mostly desert, des deserters, most, mostly desert, deserters from the Turkish army, and a much more numerous horde of Bedouin tribesmen recruited from the different tribes along the road to Damascus. For example, the famous chief of the Banu, Hawaitat, Auda Abu whom we shall meet again in the next chapter, led his tribesmen in the capture of the uh, port of Aqaba, the turning point of the campaign, and the survival of, of, of those sons Abdullah and his son Hussein, as king of Jordan, depended more than once upon the, that ancient willingness of the Bedouin tribes to give their personal loyalty to leaders descended from the Prophet tribe. 
Muhammad revered his uh, grandfather. You may recall that at the Battle of Hunayn in the Arab manner, he shouted out as his personal war cry, I am Muhammad, son of Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib was a chief or sheikh in the great tradition, one who personified the virtues that Arabs valued and expected in their leaders. One of the uh, poets commissioned to compose and recite eulogies in his uh, honor sang of him, Alas, has the shepherd of his people, the generous one, perished, who gave the pilgrims their water, the defender of our fame, who used to carry the wandering guest into his tents when the heavens begrudged their rain. Notice that image of the shepherd of his people returning here like a musical refrain. Did Muhammad as a boy dream of being such a shepherd? Thanks to long-standing quarrels between the various kin kinship groups and lineages, the Quraysh had no, had no acknowledged a single tribal chief. In that respect, perhaps they could be seen as a flock without a shepherd. This lack of strong leadership however, would work to Muhammad's advantage later on when the Quraysh lacked a leader of sufficient stature and wisdom to deal with the man who became the thorn in their side. By a set of complex established precedent, the leading Qurayshi families shared between them the functions of leadership. They divided up such responsibilities as the guardianship of the temple, the maintenance of the house of meeting that stood near the enclosure, the right to carry the tribal banner in battle, the collection of the charitable tax to provide hospitality and succor for the poorest pilgrims, and the arranging of the divinations that took place before the idols of the various tribal gods, such as such as Hubal, that now also stood within the large sacred enclosure. Decisions of importance were made by the heads of lineages by reaching consensus in the time-honored manner, the time-honored uh, manner of the Bedouin majlis, Arabic place of sitting, from Jalasa to be seated with its sides open to the winds, their one-story house of meeting next to the temple was simply a Bedouin chief's tent of meeting made out of stone. Under Islam, much later, a majlis came to mean a public audience granted by a ruler such as a caliph, sultan, or emir, but it retained its sense as a public forum for the conduct of political matters or legal judgments what in English would come to be called a parliament from the French parlor to speak the original sense of the word was the action of speaking, speech, conference or discussion, hence the council called by a monarch to discuss some matter of general importance. Without any police force at his disposal, uh, disposal a chief depended upon his personal authority, the strength of his personality and the wisdom of his judgments to lead where he could not command. Charles Doughty, the 19th century English traveler in Arabia, once described in his distinctive prose style the Majlis of Sheikh Mutlaq, the chief of the Fuqara tribe. When the Majlis assembled numerous at his tent, he, the great Sheikh and host, would set out with a proud humility among the common people, holding still his looks at the ground, but they were full of unquiet side glances as his mind was erect and watching. His authority slumbered till there being some just occasion. He ruled with the word the unruly Bidu, 
the sheikh of a normal tribe is not tired, a great sheikh striking a tribesman, he should bruise his own honor. In fact, guiding such a meeting to an actionable decision required not only the authority of position and personal prestige, but also skill. Do you imagine Muhammad as a boy ever sitting on the edge of the open-sided meeting house in order to learn that skill? I do. A more modern tribal example may illustrate that possibility. Nelson Mandela's father, a chief of the Thimbo tribe, used to take him as a young boy in the great place where the paramount chief Mohkezuani uh, used to discuss tribal issues with tribal chiefs and any Thimbos who wished to attend. The leader of leaders was surrounded by his counselors. Mandela later recalled, my later notions of leadership were profoundly influenced by observing the paramount, the paramount chief. My later notions of leadership were profoundly influenced by observing the paramount chief. I watched and learned from the tribal meetings that were regularly held at the great uh, place. And as a leader, I have always followed the principles I first saw demonstrated there. I have always endeavored to listen to what each and every person in a discussion had to say before venturing my own opinion. Oftentimes, my own opinion will simply represent a consensus of what I heard in the discussion. Maybe when he was 14, Muhammad was present at the Majalis when the Quraysh chiefs decided to join in a war that had, had erupted in the desert. Some Bani Hawazin tribesmen had raised a caravan near Mecca and killed the guide. He came from the Bani Kinana and the caravan was under the tribe's protection. To make matters worse, this uh, fatal assault took place in the month before the great annual pilgrimage to Mecca when any violence in the environs of the town was strictly forbidden. Consequently, a war broke out between the two tribes that lasted five years and it is out and uh, broke, uh, broke out between the two tribes that lasted five years and it is not difficult to guess what side the Meccans were on. Muhammad accompanied his uncles in the Meccan contingent to one battle and it is said that he made himself useful by picking up sp uh, spent arrows on the field afterwards. This story illustrates how the Meccans could not have isolated themselves from desert politics even if they had wanted to do so. And there would be no better way for Muhammad to get to know desert politics than by becoming a caravan leader and it is speculation on my part no more that uh, as a young man he may well have done so the Quraysh were in the business of caravans for they were merchants they carried on trade on a large scale with Syria in the north and Yemen in the south their caravans to and from Damascus had to complete a journey of a thousand miles they carried, among other things, dyed, and finally worked leather goods made from skins obtained from the Bedouin tribes, often at the great fairs held at pilgrimage time. Every large caravan was headed by Qa'id, pronounced Qa'id, in Arabic that word could be applied to a guide, the leader of a raid on another tribe's camel, or military commander. The commander of the Bedouin regiment of the Arab Legion in which I served when I was 20 had that title. Riyada leadership Arabic has no infinitive derives from the Arab word Yaqud meaning he leads 
a derivative is miqwaj, a rope that is miqwaj, a rope that is used to lead a horse or camel by the head. Strictly speaking, however, no one in Arabia society would presume to call themselves uh, a qad or leader. Originally, at any rate, it was more like an accolade or an accolade or compliment. The same supply as the same applies incidentally to leader in English. It is interesting to see how close the Arabic and English languages are at this point, meaning a roadway path or course of a ship at sea. The Anglo-Saxon word lead is the root of the English words leader, leadership, and to lead. It is related to the verb laden, to go or travel, or in its uh, causative form to make or cause to go. In fact, it is a North European root with similar sounding equivalents in Old uh, Norse, German, and Dutch. Clearly, leadership is a journey concept. A leader literally is one who leads the way by going first, the one too who may cause or make others to go on a journey and holds them together in a body so that they do not get out of touch or lose their unity as a body. Remember the shepherd. The ship ending of leadership derives from the Anglo-Saxon verb to shape, known as a suffix in English. The ship word ending has two distinct meanings and that can be a bit confusing. Here it can mean one, an office, dignity, a position or position of a leader. Two, the qualities or attributes of being a leader. The distinction becomes clearer, clearer and it is, served, it is observed that not all those who occupy roles or positions of leadership by birth, election or equipment have the personal ability and knowledge of how to lead. Plutarch, uh, Plutarch, for example, describe a Roman emperor named Gaius Antonis as a man with no aptitude for leadership in any direction, either good or bad. The Africans have a proverb to describe such a ruler. A log of food may lie in the river for years, but it never becomes a crocodile. A log of wood may lie in the river for years, but it never becomes crocodile. You can be appointed a commander or manager, it has been said, but you are not a leader until your appointment is ratified in the hearts and minds of those you need. Perhaps it was while leading caravans that Muhammad discovered that he had a natural gift for leadership. Okay. What, what do you think? The role of a caravan leader was an exceptionally responsible one before the caravan left Mecca. For example, a hundred or more camels and camel driven and camel drivers had to be selected and hired. The loads assembled and packed for the camels, provisions and tents bought and loaded weapons prepared and money secured for expenses en route and for the wages of the camel drivers. Once you in the desert and the tracks leading north, all accountability for the caravan rested solely on the shoulders of the caravan leader. He was without any means of communication with the owners once Makkah had receded from sight. Nor was the caravan ensured it, uh, if any property in his care was damaged or stolen. It was the caravan leader and his kinsfolk who were obliged to recompense the owners. The Bedouin tribes made part of their money by extracting protection money from 
caravan that passed through their territory. Therefore, a key function of a caravan leader was negotiating with the right tribe for the right amount of money or goods. The desert nomads respected noble in lineage. Therefore, the best guarantee for the security of a caravan as it plodded its way through the wilderness was the personal heritage of its chosen leader and the respect engendered by the fact that he was a member of a distinguished family in Mecca. As you would expect, the Qa'ib of a caravan always accompanied it in person. The great Byzantines in Muhammad's day called a caravan leader a synodiarch. A synodiarch. The word literally means a chief ruler or leader of a meeting or council. In uh, Palmyra, a great oasis and city in northern Arabia, a group of uh, Palmyrene merchants erected a monument in, in 1930 CE to a caravan leader who had won their gratitude. The inscription reads, This statue is in honor of Te Marsu, chief of the caravan, Sindiorak, Sinodiak, which has been made for him by members of the caravan who came up with him from uh, Charaks because he paid their expenses, 300 gold coins in ancient currency, and was well pleasing to them. On a journey, Muhammad once said, the leader of a people is their servant. What did he mean? That a true leader serves those whom he or she uh, leads both as a group, meeting their needs to complete their journey safely and their needs to be maintain, maintained as a cohesive whole, as a cohesive whole, and also as a set of individuals for each individual on the journey may have small needs or problems as the journey proceeds. Would you like to see Muhammad as a servant leader in action? Fortunately, we can. Wahab ibn Kaysan once accompanied Muhammad on a raid. When they set out from Medina, he was riding an old feeble camel. It is he who tells the following story. On the way back, the company kept going on while I dropped farther, uh, while I dropped farther behind until the apostle overlooked me and asked me what the trouble was. I told him that my camel was keeping my, was keeping me back, and he told me to make it kneel. I did so, and the apostle made his camel kneel. Give me the stick you are holding, or cut a stick from a tree. He said, Wahab could not quite remember which. He took it and prodded the beast with it, with it uh, a few times. Then he told me amount, and uh, off we went. By him who sent him with the truth, my old camel kept as up with the rapid pace of his she-camel. As we were talking, the apostle asked me if I would sell him my camel. I said that I would give him it. I would give him it, but he insisted on buying it so i asked him to make me an offer he said he would give me a dirham i refused and said that would be cheating me then he offered two dirhams and i still refused and the apostle uh, still went on raising his offer until it amounted to an ounce of gold when i asked him if he was really satisfied he said that he was and i said the camel was his then he asked me if I were married. Then was she a virgin or a woman previously married? I told him she had 
been married before, no girl so that you could sport together, no girl so that you could sport together. He said, I told him that my father had been killed at Uhud, uh, leaving seven daughters, and I had married a motherly woman uh, who could look after them proficiently. You have done work with God. Well, he said, had we come to Sirar, a place about three miles from Marina, we would order camels to be slaughtered and stay there for the day, and she would hear about us and shake the dust of her cushions. But by God, we have no conclusions, I replied. But you will leave, the prophet said, and added, when you return, behave wisely. When we got to Sirar, the apostle ordered the camels to be slaughtered, and we stayed there for the day. At night, the apostle went home, and so did we. I told the woman the news and what the apostle had said to me. Look alive and do what he tells, us, that tells you. In the morning, I led away the camel and made it kneel at the apostle's door. Then I sat inside the mosque hard uh, by. He came out and saw it and asked what it was, and they told him it was the camel which I had brought. He asked where I was, and I was summoned to him. O son of my brother, he said, take away your camel, for it is yours. And he called Bilal and told him to give me an ounce of gold. Bilal was a former slave when Muhammad had appointed as the first Muaddin, the person appointed to call uh, to Muslims to prayer. He gave Wahab the ounce of gold and Muhammad added a little more gold to it. What is remarkable about this story is first the, that the prophets noticed the young man struggling uh, on the old camel and stopped to help them. He enjoyed playfully haggling for the camel which he had no intention of buying and in the process finding out more about uh, about uh, Wahab uh, as the son of a fallen hero at Uhud, son of my brother, he was a worthy recipient of the generous gift that ends the story. Muhammad has behaved as a great Arab chief should, but with a characteristically gentle and humorous touch. Key points, Muhammad looked up to his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, briefly his father as, as, well, as well. He personified what the Arabs called Muru'a, the virtue of being a man. It connotes a cluster of virtues, bravery, generosity, practical wisdom, and honor, all highly valued. These are the qualities we see in Muhammad. Uh, practical wisdom, the Greeks called it phronesis, is essentially the art of knowing the right thing to do at the right time and in the right way. In the right way. It, uh, it encompasses the ability to see ahead, to predict how things will unfold, and also to forecast what will be the consequences of a given course of action. Being a caravan leader, being a leader in any, any context calls for such a judgment or practical wisdom. The ability to come to some uh, conclusions, to make wise decisions based upon them, and to act upon them with decisive and determination. No one is born wise, a leader becomes wise, acquires practical wisdom, practical uh, wisdom through working no one is born wise, a leader becomes wise, acquires practical wisdom through mutual aptitude, practice, and reflection. Wisdom, like an Arab bow made of uh, different kinds of food, has three elements, intelligence, experience, and goodness. The caravan leader is not the caravan's official guide, or daily, or Dalil, who piloted the camel train 
through his knowledge of the landmarks. The Qaid fulfilled the generic or universal role of leader, achieving the task successfully maintaining group coherence or unity and caring for individual members. Meeting these three areas of interactive or overlapping or, uh, need call for uh, skill, but it was best performed in a spirit of service. Serve to lead, Muhammad learned that great lesson for an example for an example of the humble service he rendered to a companion on a journey when he was the leader, see above. On a journey, alhamdulillah. End of chapter 3.